friends, Misty here. I'm back with another episode of Marketing Sweats. Today, I'm sitting down with the president of Carl Health Greater Peoria, Dr. Keith Nutt. Keith and I met via mutual connections well over a year ago. At that time, we shared a passion for many things about Peoria, but perhaps most notably, the desperate need for mental health services. He'll talk about that on today's episode. Since that time, I've followed Dr. Nepp on his journey to ensure the transition from Unity Point to Carl Health was a smooth one. You can genuinely feel his excitement for the region. Dr. Nepp serves as a founding member of the Greater Peoria Leadership Council. He's actually on the executive team, and I'm so thankful for his endless encouragement and support of not only his own organization, Carl Health, but for the Choose Greater Peoria movement overall. Please join us as we talk about the many interesting ways Carl Health is growing and giving back to our community. Okay, today we are here with Dr. Keith Nepp from Carl Health, the CEO. It's so nice you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've I know. Never been on a podcast You've before. never been on a podcast? Yeah. This is, I think, I have maybe 70 or so episodes. So this is season eight. And as you know, we are focusing all around Choose Greater Peoria and really why the business community is coming together to help the community grow. So that's kind of the, the tone of our conversation. Um, we're having both hospital networks on, and I wanted to hear a lot about uh, Carl and kind of how you fit into all this as one of the key leaders. So I'm excited. Great. It's been really fun to be part it of It has, and I've enjoyed getting to know you. Um, I still remember our first coffee meeting, which I might point back to at some points along the way here. So let's start with a little bit about you. So tell me your story. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how you got into medicine. Sure. I'm a Central Illinois native. Okay. Born and raised in Eureka, Illinois. Lived there most of my life. I just moved to Peoria six years ago, I think. Okay. My father was first an engineer at Caterpillar. Okay. Um, my mom was a school teacher. And then my dad became a family doctor when I was in middle school. So we lived in the Chicago suburbs while he was in training and then moved back to Eureka. That's interesting. What made him make that switch? He was a volunteer EMT. Okay. On a local ambulance squad. And he and loved it. And just really fell in love with it. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So what did that inform in you as a kid, watching your dad go through that journey? That was fourth grade, I think, when wow. we made that move and didn't see it coming. So, yeah, I, I've never thought about that. But I think, you know, just permission to change course, you know, yeah. in life, I suppose. That's so yeah. cool. Okay. So then you're coming up uh, in the world and you ended up going to Illinois State? I did. I started at Illinois Central College. I can't uh, forget to mention that. Of course. You know, I had these commercials out there lately. That, Dr. Kirk uh, Dr. Bailey Dr. talks Kirk about Bailey that all the time. Do, so, yeah. Uh, I started there and then, then completed my bachelor's at Illinois State okay. and then moved on to the University of Illinois for medical school. Did I you know? I spent some time in Champaign-Urbana and then oh. completed uh, my med school years here in Peoria. So did you know from a young age after watching your father go through that journey that you wanted to be a doctor? No, I was also contemplating a science career, potentially engineering. But, okay. Um, I've always loved connecting to people, and I'm sure I was inspired by him being sure. a family physician. So I made that change my sophomore year of college. Okay. So you were wired to like science? That's kind of your favorite subjects growing up? Yeah, and it, it really is. Hmm. It still is. Cool. So you were a family practitioner for a while, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, I did not plan to go back to my hometown to practice, but circumstances unfolded that way. So I practiced for seven years, my first seven years of practice, uh, 
in Eureka and able to practice with my father in the same practice, which was really a cool experience. That's so cool. Okay. So then I have down, so you transitioned from patient care to healthcare IT to see. I actually taught before that. My first move back to Peoria, I came back to Methodist to join the faculty of the residency program here. So started teaching residents, part-time practice, part-time teaching. And, um, I was, you know, when I was in Eureka, I was the young guy who said it's time to go to computers. This was in the year <laughs> 2000, and I championed us moving from the paper charts wow. that uh, we had used in that practice to the first implementation of electronic health record in that practice. And um, based on that experience, Methodist asked me when I started working here to do things IT related. And so that was actually what launched me into uh, a leadership career path uh, at Methodist. That's amazing. So as a leader, I'm terrible at technology, but that's something that you're passionate about and you wanted to see change happen. Yeah. I, I just saw, you know, we manage so much information about people in healthcare and to do that in an antiquated way with paper didn't make sense anymore. Right. So I, I had this reputation as being, you know, IT interested and savvy, but I'm not really very good at technology. The first time they trained me in actually using the system and I made a change, I like broke <laughs> physician orders, you know? So sure. then they took away my access oh, and funny. said, just tell us what you want. Yeah. And we'll, we'll write the code for right. you. Right. So, so you're yeah. probably more focused on just the change of the operation and sort of looking at it from that bird's eye view. Is that what then fueled your next step? Yeah, I... I really was more about how do we use these systems to improve quality sure. and connectivity to patients. So I think advocating for those things um, led to a seat at the table. And um, eventually I moved into an IT leadership position and then an operational leadership position, okay. uh, again, at, at Methodist. And then tell me the story about how you stepped into the CEO role. I always tell people every door that opened for me from the time I started practice um, until the role prior to being CEO, someone asked me to do, hey, Keith, would you be interested in? Mm-hmm. And um, when I decided to pursue the opportunity to be the CEO of what was then Unity Point Health Central Illinois with Methodist as the anchor hospital along with Procter & Pekin, uh, it was the first time I said, hey, I'm, I want to do this job. Really? And so um, my successor and really great mentor was Debbie Simon. Yeah. Talked to Debbie and said, I'm interested in this. And uh, she helped uh, uh, prepare me for sure. that. And so I really worked hard to make sure I was building the skill set to be successful at that. It was just you know, how many people get the opportunity to lead a health system in the community where they grew up, where the work you do makes a difference to your own family, to your own neighbors. So I see a lot of people in leadership and healthcare who've had amazing opportunities, but um, I feel really privileged to be able to have those opportunities in my own community. Yeah. So many lessons there too, just in everything you just said about how, you know, we look to our leaders to identify us. That's a big part of this talent attraction effort of asking others, right? within our spheres of influence to take a job, but then also raising your hand when you're interested in something to come up. Was it Debbie that really inspired you to do that? Or was there some other reason where you're like, you know, you said helping the community. That's been a big part of you and I's conversations too, is like, these are community hospitals where you can actually see the impact of giving back. Yes. Uh, all of that. Uh, you know, Debbie is an inspiring leader and uh, I learned so much from her and got a lot of encouragement from her. But as I looked at other healthcare opportunities, there's places you can go to be the leader of a physician group or the leader of a hospital 
or the leader of a tech company, or for that matter, a practicing physician still, because I, you know, I had the credentials to do that. But what I saw here was putting all the parts together, Mm -hmm. doctors, home care, education with our residency programs, Methodist college, hospitals, all integrating into something, you know, kind of bigger than the sum of the parts. Sure. And there weren't, there, there aren't that many jobs still there where you can be the leader who brings all those pieces together. Right. And so I just thought that's, that's really cool. That is so cool. I love sort of taking the bird's eye view of the system. So give us a sense for those listeners who maybe have only experienced the brand as through, you know, being a patient to the breadth and depth of your organization now, especially given the transition recently from Unity Point to Carl Health. Yes. So I think we do have so much more than meets the eye. Right. And, uh, you know, mentioning Carl is pretty amazing watching the signs change, you know, it felt like overnight and everybody sees the signs on the hospitals. So, of course, you know, we're anchored by three hospitals here. Methodist, Proctor, and Pekin, but we also have over 50 physician clinics, multiple different specialties from primary care to cardiac surgery. We have a home care and hospice organization. A really cool story, by the way, about how hospice came to be in Peoria. An individual Methodist studied Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's teachings on the stages of grief and dying and said, we've got to do something better, brought it to the community, found a a welcome home in Methodist and started hospice, you know, decades ago. And that program still thrives after lots of community support. So home care and hospice, we have a College of Health Sciences, Methodist College, started as a nursing college over 100 years ago, uh, now has other degrees as well, and really meets a huge need in our area to produce healthcare professionals. Sure. Uh, we also teach residents, so we teach uh, family physicians and psychiatrists. Uh, again, you know, two huge needs uh, for healthcare workforce. And then uh, just about the same time I took my leadership role uh, four years ago, we created a company or an entity called Trillium Place. You probably know it as Unity Place. Right. Uh, that brought together behavioral health and substance use disorder services sure. across the community. And um, I'm still figuring out everything that Trillium Place does. It's right. amazing. We have inpatient and outpatient rehab facilities for substance use disorder for men and women. We have community outreach. Uh, we have a crisis response team traditional counseling services, in-school services. So it's a whole host of community services that happen uh, throughout the Tri-County area that are all part of that Carl Health umbrella now. That's great. And I do have more questions for you about Trillium Place, so let's circle back to that. I know the first time I met you, you and I talked about our shared passion for mental health services and the need for that in Peoria. Um, I want to ask the, what does that look like in your day to day? I can't even fathom managing a healthcare network with all of those sort of tentacles. So how do you spend your time? How do you help the organization focus on the biggest strategic needs? Uh, That's a great question. That's something I'm still trying to figure out. I don't know know, how you you put your time and attention when there's so many things that well, you show up in so many places. I'm always impressed, Dr. Knapp, with your commitment to the community, how many boards you're involved on, your your efforts to connect dots, even to do something like this, right, is, is such a giving use of your time. So how are you balancing all of that? Well, it really, really comes down to having a team that you can lean on. And um, everybody says that. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> uh, we have an amazing team of leaders and 
clinicians, you know, across all of those things that I said, and they really do manage the day to day. We have people on call, not just doctors and nurses that are on 24 seven, but administrative leaders that, you know, handle those crises that happen. And there are an amazing number of crises, you know, that come through emergency departments and behavioral health services. So just, uh, you know, deep structure of talented people that lead all of that. But, um, I still really value every chance I get to connect with our care provider teams, to spend a little time in the hospital or clinic, uh, talk to the people who are caring directly for patients, hear things from their perspective, always trying to figure out how do I find more time to do that. And it's never, never feels like enough. Sure. But I also realized uh, to your earlier comments that I think leadership responsibilities and organizations in the community go beyond leading the organization itself. We Mm -hmm. have a responsibility to the community, uh, both to talk about what we do, but to figure out how do we do something bigger together. So that's been one of the most gratifying things about uh, the opportunity to be in this role is it's opened so many doors for me to meet other community leaders figure out how much talent is in this community yes, and uh, try to try to do something more together. From the earliest days of this, we call it Greater Pure Leadership Council, right? This group of leaders that's come together to really make momentum. You were one of the names that was on the tip of everybody's tongue. Misty, you got to go meet with Dr. Nupp, you know, and I, I think that people saw your passion. You were already connecting dots. And so why, I guess, both with your hat on of CEO Carl Health, but then also just your passion for the community, like, why did you think it was so critical that we all rallied around something as a key priority for the region? What momentum are you seeing? How are you hoping that that takes us someplace long term? I have a different view of what this community is and how it works together than I did six years ago when I moved here from Eureka. So, Eureka is a town of 5,000 and, you know, correctly identify that as a small town. Sure. Right now there's smaller towns. There's right. towns of 200, <laughs> 500. So, and Eureka was a great place to live and grow up. Peoria was the big city, not Chicago, not St. Louis, but, you know, bigger buildings, big institutions, uh, more complex government. And um, now having sat in the role that I'm in for four and a half years, uh, Peoria feels like a small town. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way, mm-hmm. big enough to matter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like Goldilocks, right? It's just right. Big enough mm-hmm. to have uh, all the things that an urban center is good about that. Right. You know, be it culture, capital, uh, influence, scale, but still, despite all of that, it's small enough that any of us can pick up the phone to another leader get something done, bring the people together that matter and move things. And so just as the light bulbs are going on to see all of that, uh, I just feel like we're so much better positioned than Chicago or St. Louis to actually change our community because we're small enough to do it. Right. And and we don't appreciate that enough. Absolutely. So I'm always excited to see uh, yeah. whatever we can do together. And other leaders want to be a part of that. You know, a big part of this effort is upper management, executive talent attraction. And when you can say, we've created this community of leaders that can literally pick up the phone on a dime and make something happen, that's exciting. That's people who are growth-minded, want to, you know, join the forces there. Um, And then I think your comments about just like being between Chicago and St. Louis, you know, we always use that as a little bit of a crutch, but I think we're seeing that we are a small star among big stars, 
right? And we have a lot of light to shine. And it seems like we're rallying around those those key talking points to build the positivity of the region. Yes. And just, you know, I don't think this is on the agenda, but just a quick plug for that, you know, uh, a star that matters among stars. Just in the last week, leader John Gordon Booth hosted a press conference with us last Friday talking about a co-response model. We're going to put uh, behavioral health resources with police officers to respond. And because of the strength of her leadership and the rest of our state delegation, we can get state funding support for an initiative like that that can make a huge difference. Sure. Yesterday, Senator Dick Durbin's in town, mm-hmm. visited Methodist, talked about his support for our behavioral health project, residency program expansion, but also a critical issue affecting the whole country, which is drug shortages. Sure. But he's here in Peoria because he knows this place matters and what we do here matters and he's putting his support behind it and coming here to share that message. I'm glad you're bringing up those examples because one of the things I talk to my team a lot on why we're doing this, this isn't just about greater Peoria. It's about the whole state, right, of Illinois and and bringing together funding where we need to to make massive change for the people who need, you know, all ships to rise. You see that from the inside and you're very much a part of those conversations. That's great. Okay, so I want to circle back to Carl's strategy. You mentioned a lot of things there. Talk a little bit more about Trillium Place. You know, when we started this effort, and I was interviewing maybe two dozen of the area's leaders and bringing you all together in workshops and and conference rooms and saying, what is the biggest need? Mental health came up as one of the biggest funding gaps. And I know you have a lot of effort in that space, and you want people to know that story and why it's such a need for Peoria. So just tell us a little bit more about all that's on the horizon and what we're going to see tangibly in the next six to 12 months. Sure. If I might, let me talk a little bit about Carl, because we. Sure. I think I got sidetracked earlier talking about where we were going, but that entity, this organization that is now Carl Health Greater Peoria, hospitals, clinics, educational resources, we have a local board here Mm -hmm. that governs that whole delivery system of care, all those providers, and they give me guidance. So uh, I have a reporting relationship to a system leader. used to be at Unity Point, now it's at Carl, but I also uh, am part of and report to a board of local volunteer leaders from the community that give us direction on what's most important for healthcare delivery and their voice matters. Three of those uh, individuals now sit on the Carl health system board. So when we uh, left the unity point health system and joined the Carl health system, it was with the full blessing support enthusiasm of that local board. Sure. And um, we moved from unity point into Carl with that delivery system intact This was not a purchase of specific assets, a breakup, an acquisition. This was a full-scale move of an integrated healthcare system from one parent to another. But the reason we did that is all about finding an organization that matches our values and commitment to quality and is right here next to us in central Illinois. Unity Point was a great system, is a great system, just a little far away. So being part of a health system that's in Champaign-Urbana, Bloomington Normal, my hometown of Eureka, Peoria, you know, right next door, we can do a lot more with that. And that's going to be good for all of us. 
I remember you telling me even, you know, maybe amidst the transition, how important that was as a differentiator, both that you had that local board and that you were sort of committed to the community in that way. Is that what people need to understand? And is that what you sort of preach to your employees, even as you were going through the process of the transition? Yes, absolutely. Carl told us we have three criteria when we're looking for uh, growth partners. You know, one is a commitment to quality. Another is a strong involvement of the community and local voice and governance of healthcare. And a third is good fiscal discipline. And we brought all three of those and that matches, Mm -hmm. you know, what we see at Carl. The commitment to community and investment in community health has been a key part of what has, you know, under girded Carl's mission as a not-for-profit. I think it's one of the things that our board really responded to when we understood that organization well. And is that how the Trillium Place factors in? Because that's a community need that needs help? Yes. It's a great segue. So so, uh, Trillium Place being formed was really the vision of my predecessors. And they saw that we have these community health providers, you know, Human Service Center, Taswood Center for Wellness that are integrated in the community, but not delivering hospital service. And then we have all these hospital-based behavioral health services, but we're not working together to the degree that we can and sure. should. And nobody across the country is doing this either. Right. So it was really visionary to say, let's bring all these resources, put them together under one roof and make it one organization. Trillium Place also has a board of volunteer community members that give direction on what are the behavioral health needs. So we now can take all those resources and have them work in a coordinated way, hopefully so fewer people slip through the cracks. Right. Better access, better coordination. Mm-hmm. I think when you and I first had coffee, I said I shared my daughter's story with you. It took me quite a bit of time, right, to get an appointment. And and luckily I'm, you know, able to call people and, and push through. But that's so many people's experience in our community that they just can't get access. So what are you guys doing to sort of enable that, knowing that physicians are hard to find? Yes, they are. One of the first things we did is uh, create an access center where mm-hmm. you, know, you can call one number and get connected to the right services that you need. Uh, then we, you know, almost within a year of forming Trillium Place, we hit the pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of the next couple of years were around surviving that, providing critical services. We were one of the few behavioral health hospitals across the state that kept all of its units open through almost the entire pandemic. We had to make a few significant reductions in capacity uh, Mm -hmm. because of people with COVID, but um, really worked hard and kept those units open. Um, But then came the great resignation. And so we're still recovering from that in terms of rebuilding our own staff um, so that we can meet those access needs. So that is still a challenge is is access, but we've made great progress in that. Uh, one, One success story to highlight is our partnership with the University of Illinois College of Medicine here in Peoria and their psychiatry department. We have a residency program based at Methodist that mm-hmm. is uh, run by UE Comp. And uh, we recently secured support to increase the number of residents from four to five each year. So okay. we graduate five psychiatrists every year. Last year, two of those psychiatrists chose to stay, stay in the community. And now these uh, classes that are coming behind, we're in conversations about trying to recruit and retain yeah. uh, many of those as well. So that can make a huge difference over time in bringing access here. 
say more about just the importance of the asset of healthcare in Peoria. I know it's one of the things that we talk about a lot in our website and in our marketing materials, but we do have such an amazing healthcare community. And in many ways, we're shifting to a healthcare community, the businesses around the hospitals, the hospitality, you know, the kind of experience we want to be able to deliver when people come here. So just tell us a little bit about those conversations that you're a part of. Peoria is really unique in being a city of this size and having the breadth and depth of specialty services, uh, the behavioral health things I just talked about, but also all of the other specialty services that are available here in the community. I think if you would you know, just pick a city that has a population this size and look at closely the healthcare that's available, it's most likely not going to approach what we Absolutely have here. Absolutely not, so, yeah. Um, really, I do think the community... Um, especially in recent years, uh, understands and appreciates that. I felt so much support uh, for the work we're doing. That's amazing. What other sort of strategies would you like to highlight? You know, I know the services you offer in the mental health space. And I I think that's one of your differentiators. I think it's one of the things people think of when they think about your hospital network. But what else should we know is on the horizon? I'll highlight a few. Okay. Um, we've made uh, tremendous strides in our cancer program. Yeah. So we have national accreditation for our colorectal cancer program, our breast cancer program. That's uh, all the physicians in the different disciplines, whether that's radiation therapy, medical oncology, surgical oncology, pathology, all coming together, uh, nursing support, care management support, delivering care according to the highest national standards. Okay. Those are rigorous standards. We're surveyed on that and um, really proud of those accreditations. That's amazing. Um, as well as a state-of-the-art radiation therapy unit uh, that we just installed at Methodist within the last year uh, wow. that uh, we can do radio surgery with. So uh, lots lots going on to be proud of on the cancer side. Our cardiovascular program is really strong. Mm. We have uh, something called a structural heart program where we do uh, interventions on the heart that you wouldn't believe, you know, we used to have to do open heart surgery for these. Now they're catheter directed to replace aortic valves wow. to put in clips that can reduce stroke in, in, uh, in atrial amazing. fibrillation patients all delivered, you know, non-invasively people going home same day or next day after a procedure like that. So that's been really exciting so cool. to watch is that, is that, uh, innovation taking place. Yeah, Absolutely. I want to ask a little bit, though, about how all of these different focus areas have led to different talent attraction needs. You know, obviously, doctors and nurses are the first thing we think of, um, but I know you have needs across your entire network. Talk about why that was so important at the time about a year ago when we identified talent attraction as the biggest need for Peoria and how that maybe the goalpost has shifted a little bit as we've gone along. Yeah, so there's two ways this is so important to us, and the, the most obvious is just the direct need that you know, to do the things that I just mentioned. The only reason we have that advanced cardiac program is because we were able to attract some really well-trained and talented cardiologists to our program and vascular surgeons to our program. Uh, so that need goes across multiple different specialties. Sure. And being able to tell the story that Peoria is a great place to live, what the medical community consists of is so important in attracting uh, those So highly competitive, come. right? It is. But it's not just you know, everybody thinks of physicians, of course, nurses with the nursing shortage, advanced practice providers, but all the support services that go with that. We need talented finance leaders, supply chain, right. uh, all, you know, all the way down to things, you know, that are needed right. to, to, to run a business. Sure. 
Well, I know we're just a few months into this effort and it is a movement, right? It's not a campaign. We know this is a long-term focus that we're trying to build almost an operating model around finding and keeping and growing talent. What are some of the things you've been proud of? What are some of the things that you have seen that maybe we haven't done before that are actually helping your recruiters get people to come here and experience all the good things? I, first and foremost, just just love that we're all coming together to talk about the great things sure. you know, that exist in this community. That alone um, has been such yeah, a breath of fresh air. Shifting the story to, to remind people why why we all live here and what we're so proud of. And, and that has to continue with every person. So if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> please be an ambassador of this effort. Too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the other is really the, the, the financial resources that have come to bear. So credit to the Gilmore Foundation put seed money to this, ask the business organizations in the community to step up and match that so we can fund a, you know, truly a significant marketing effort that can reach other communities and really help to tell our story. Absolutely. I'm glad you highlighted those things. You know, when I've talked to folks um, about why would we want to be a part of this, why would you not? I mean, this is like a once in a lifetime gift in many ways that we have, we can sort of ride the wave and really make an impact on a political and, and sort of, like I said, state level to make a change. It's cool to be a part of that. At least it has been for me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> You were sort of somebody from the beginning who really believed that Peoria had an, a unique identity. And you talked about that a little bit through the lens of like being sort of this, you know, small town, but still big enough to make change. But you also have a lot of perspective on who we are in terms of our diversity and how we come together, you know, all sides of the aisle, how we can help grow the economic engine, but just by working together. Can you say a little bit about that? Because I think you have a new, unique perspective there. Yeah, you didn't use my marketing idea. Though. Share, <laughs> Share it. Paint, I think it's paint awesome. Peoria purple. Yeah, I uh, love I that. I think we're one of the diminishing number of places in our country where, you know, I don't know if it's 50-50, but we've got a pretty good mix of political views here. And yet we all know each other and we're small enough that we can focus on what we have in common sure. um, instead of those points that divide. So I think we are one of the places that the entire country could look to and solving some of the political polarization that exists. And I think we should be intentional about that. I also think this intersect between uh, being big enough to truly have an urban core mm -hmm. uh, and being in the middle of some of the most fertile farm ground mm -hmm. and having the Illinois River Valley is something we have yet to fully tap into. And as you look at the future of agriculture, precision agriculture, regenerative agriculture, why are we letting California be the breadbasket of this country, not in terms of corn and soybeans, but everything else. Well, it's growing season, it's access to migrant labor. I know there's lots of factors, but there are so many things we have that California doesn't have. Our sure. soil's better, we've got better water, we've got uh, ag tech right here, and all of this talent. And so thinking differently, how do we scale some small scale agricultural things into something that's financially feasible for the farmers in this community? How do we tie together food production with healthcare? Uh, because food matters so much in health delivery and right. vice versa. Yeah. Um, so th this is not, and it's not just Peoria, but greater Peoria and this whole region have opportunities to be national and international leaders in this area. So mm -hmm. I, I think um, there's all, all kinds of places we can go. That's amazing. Well, and as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, it's making me think about how, you know, in marketing, if you try to be all things to all people, you're, you're nothing. But what we have in Peoria is really we have so much 
things. We've got the rural, we've got the urban, we've got the big, small, we, you know, and I think living at that intersection of all of that is what makes us special. We just have to do a better job of telling our story, which is, of course, what we're working on. Want to circle back to your leadership role. I mentioned earlier that you are involved in many boards on the civic side and the business side, the nonprofit side. As you've joined the Greater Peoria Leadership Council, how have you bridged insights from that group of business leaders to the other conversations you're a part of? And is that been helpful to sort of understand the priorities of the business community as a whole in some of the other organizations that you're a part of? That's a great question. And I think it is going to be the key to this initiative continuing to be successful because okay. I think we find in each of the different dimensions of our community, the nonprofits, the business sector, uh, the EDC, Economic Development Council, the Chamber of Commerce, city government, state government, business entities. We each have a unique view of what is most important, and mm-hmm. we're each doing work on that. And yet there's overlaps in our Venn diagrams. And in order to hit those overlaps without feeling like we're competing with each other, but working together, we almost need constant conversation yes. with each other to understand motives, to understand priorities, and understand resources. So as much as we can, we can work together. And what I see is a lot of really well-intentioned people continuing to work hard and making progress on each of those things. That's great. I love that. Okay, one more question about Carl, and then I'll let you open it up to anything I forgot to ask. If I'm a patient, am I going to experience any different experience online, offline in the transition from Unity Point? I think our patients have had a really seamless experience so far. Um, In fact, we've had people just tell us, you know, I watched the signs change, but nothing else changed. You know, seeing my doctor coming to the hospital. One change that's coming, though, is uh, we will be changing to a new electronic health record system. We use the EPIC system, as do many health systems across the country, including most in this region. Uh, But we'll be leaving the Unity Point instance of EPIC and moving to the CARL Uh, version of EPIC. Uh, So, you know, most of our patients use the MyChart portal to access their information and they'll need to make a change uh, to log in through the Carl system uh, at the end of this year. Okay. Um, and so we'll be working behind the scenes to make that as seamless as possible. Um, but that'll be one change that'll be coming. Otherwise, our goal is people don't notice any difference other than uh, hopefully over time seeing um, you know, ever uh, broader and deeper services here. That's amazing. I've talked to some of your team members about that transition. It's a heavy lift, but when you, when you get through those technology efforts, it pays off on the other side. It does. It it's does. so good for you. All right. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to share about Carl that I should have asked? I just want to express my gratitude to the community. Um, It's been a fun story to tell. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, back in 2011 when Methodist joined what was then the Iowa Health System Mm -hmm. and explaining to people why we would be doing that. Right. And um, there was rationale and we could make that explanation, but it took a little conversation. Sure. And, uh, it's been so much easier this time. Really? Just to say, we're, we're becoming part of Carl Health, and people say, wow, that's cool. That's a great yeah. organization. And um, of course, it makes sense that you know yeah. we're joining forces with somebody that's, that's so close by. Because so, the brand was recognizable. Brand was recognizable. People understand that working together with close 
friends and neighbors in these communities and colleagues uh, will be able to do more together. Right. And really concentrated, you know, not just on the state of Illinois, but central Illinois. So I'm tremendously grateful to the support that we've had from the community through all of this. That's awesome. And sort of as a leader, I have to ask, you've been through two pretty major transitions with COVID and then this, you know, Carl transition. Kind of what have you learned about yourself in that process or the organization as a whole? I've learned that I'm not as, (laughs) I'm not the center of the universe. And we all know that, you know, but um, when you, when you work through something like that, watch your team rise up and the people that can do crisis management just step in and make it happen. Right. And then, you know, working on this Carl transition, um, wow, the power of having a strong community board to lead through decisions and represent the voice of the community. I didn't have to do that. Right. The board did that. So um, I'm, I've learned to lean more into and Your appreciate all the people around me. That's yeah. great. Okay. Well, and before I ask even more about you, I want to just kind of put a bow on the choose greater. You've been a part of this since the beginning. I've, I've reiterated throughout this conversation that this is a long-term effort, a long-term goal. But when you think about the movement we're trying to create for Peoria, not just in talent attraction, but just in economic growth and development, right? What are you hopeful for? When we're sitting here a year from now, you know, what would you like to see change or be different as we continue to try to sort of raise the funds to do the big things that we need to do for downtown or otherwise all around us. I want to see more national news stories about what's going on in Peoria. I want the Wall Street Journal and uh, the New York Times, you know, coming to Peoria and writing stories about the good things that are happening here. I love that. You sound like Laura Cullen and I'm going to have her on this season too, but (laughs) it's true. We have such a powerful story to tell and we need to punch above our weight class a little bit and sort of um, not be maybe as humble as we've been in the past about all the good things. I would add one thing to that in terms of, you know, you asked about why, why get behind this effort. You know, I spoke earlier, of course, because we need talent uh, at Carl Health, but it's bigger than that. Our healthcare systems only survive and thrive based on the strength of the underlying community. Mm. And if the population dwindles and the economy declines here, we're going to feel the pain of that just like everybody else. And that's going to impact what we can do. But if we have a thriving community with growth and business growth and population growth, we can offer more services and we have the resources to provide for those that have affordability issues and other challenges. And so uh, this matters to us, not just for our own direct recruitment, but the strength of the community. And I think we all saw that immediately when we started having these conversations. It's one thing to sort of fill the jobs. It's another thing to come together and try to help all of our businesses sustain. If we don't do this now, no one will, right? And so we all sort of stepped up and took some accountability for it. I think it's been huge. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute, but first I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to Symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. 
going to switch to you. I end all of my podcast episodes just learning a little bit about your core beliefs and sort of your secrets to success. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you lead. What would your team say about you? What are some of your leadership philosophies? I think my team would tell you that my strengths are in being a good listener Mm -hmm. and uh, being collaborative, being empathetic. I think they would tell you that my weaknesses are that I don't talk to them enough. Uh, I need to communicate more and I'm not expressive enough. (laughs) You are somewhat soft-spoken. But it's not intimidating. Everybody I talk to about you says he's so down to earth. He's so easy to talk to, but you're just more reserved. Is that part that's, of your personality? That's a, that's a good summary. Reserved. <laughs> Love it. What are some of your, when you think back over the course of your career, um, and maybe you've already mentioned some of them today, what are some of the things you're most proud of? What are some of your accomplishments? I still go back to some of the patients that I cared for. Uh, in my days practicing in Eureka, I remember very vividly you know, some end-of-life moments, some diagnoses of complex conditions in kids or adolescents that stretched me, and the relationships that came from that. So that's just a core part of who I am still, and I think always will be mm. professionally. And then another highlight for me was my years teaching in mm-hmm. the residency program. It was only two or three years, but the resident classes that came through then, I'm still connected to those individuals, and I, I can see how... Uh, people who are in education for their entire career have so many bonds with students that go back. Yeah. So, so those connections to patients and uh, our residents are, are really meaningful to me. And then, uh, you know, I can't talk about looking back without mentioning the pandemic. And um, it does feel like history already. I mean, it, we're still living it. And, and even now, you know, there's been a resurgence uh, and we don't know what that's going to be, but it's not like it was in 20 and 2021 and how tough that was for the organization, for the community. So um, that's just always going to be an anchoring point to look back on is having, having come through that together. I want to comment on a few of those things. So you being a teacher, I think at heart is something you told me early on and you've been one to me. So thank you for that. Your comments about patients when you were telling stories about Trillium Place or COVID, I think that all of us have these vivid memories of our mind of health experiences that we've had. You know, my father had open heart surgery with and was in your emergency care for a very long time. And so I just have to think that makes your work so meaningful when you think through the way your life's work. And um, that has to drive you every day, right? That's your mission. It does. And, and, um, I've had to tell my kids sometimes, you know, it's such an easy thing to anchor on. And I tell our teams, I realize we all get stressed. We all get burned out. But if we go back to why we do what we do, who else in what career literally gets to do something this meaningful? Yeah. That said, you know, back to my kids, none of my kids today are in healthcare and, and, um, that's okay. Right. It is. Everything that we put our life's energy into can matter. And sure. so uh, people can find that same meaning in the other things that they do too. But it, yeah. it is, it is, I think, a little easier in healthcare. Yeah. Well, I, I said, you know, yesterday for us going through COVID as a marketing team, it was hard. It was crisis, but it certainly wasn't anything related to the level of sort of trauma you, you had to experience. And so thank you for all you've done in that space. I want to ask too, as much about accomplishments, what about failures? What are some of your lessons learned? Times you screwed up and, and took a good lesson from it. Yeah, I, I go back to uh, uh, patient care again as the place to start. Uh, 
I vividly remember two examples where decisions I made or things I did or didn't do had a negative, serious impact on a person's life. And I share those stories with our clinicians uh, because I think it's too easy for us to take that personally. Not that we shouldn't own that, learn from it, but uh, it taught me the lesson of teamwork. And in both cases, if I would have either listened to or if I'd have relied on a system of care to support me, the outcome would have been different. So uh, that's one lesson learned. Another is I'm pretty quick to think I know something once I learn it. And I want to tell people about it. Sure. And uh, I've done that for a number of things through my career only to have to unlearn it. Right. And then realize that wasn't right. Yeah. Some of the dietary advice and exercise advice I gave early as a physician is wrong mm. with what we know now. Science so changes, yeah. Having the humility and an open mind to always keep learning. I want to give you a lot of credit because I asked that question to a ton of leaders. Very few can answer it. And I think that um, because people are growth minded and we, we take failures as, you know, learnings, we're going to fail up. But you just named two very specific things. And, and that's amazing that you pass those lessons on. Secrets to success. If you had just a couple bits of advice, what would you give a young leader? Oh, that is always a hard one. I guess one is to follow open doors. Okay. Um, and to uh, be ready for opportunity when it comes. In my experience has just been... Had I tried to chart my course, I wouldn't have ended up. Sure. Most of what I did wasn't something I planned to do, but it's all been, you know, a wonderful experience for me. And the other is often when we're choosing between, we think this life altering course, well, what if I make the wrong choice? Uh, often we're choosing between two great opportunities and either one's okay. Yes. So, um, pick and then just embrace it and you can find fulfillment and success in many different paths. And you can always change your mind. That's been one thing I've right. learned. That's yep. right. yeah. Okay. And then my very last question for you, I ask this of everyone, um, what's something you're struggling with right now? A question for another that you'd like to pass on for all of us to think about. <laughs> another really hard question. I know. Uh, I'm feeling my age. <laughs> I'm 51. Okay. And uh, I'm planning to go on a camping backpacking trip with my 31-year-old son in Labor Day weekend. So okay. three weeks from now, okay. we're heading out for five or six days at altitude in Colorado. Ooh. So I've been uh, trying to run. I'm doing some rocking with the backpack on. I'm going to the gym and lifting. And I feel like I'm not making much progress. <laughs> so I think just grappling uh. with... Uh, how do you How deal do we with that? Successfully, you yeah. know, realize we can't do everything that we used to do and embrace that, but not give up. Well, hey, I'm, I'm still going for this. Man, I feel that. I'm yeah. 41 and I already feel that. I was in Utah a few weeks ago and the altitude sickness got to me. And I'm just like, how does this happen? I, you think you're invincible, but we're not. So, That's right. all right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I cannot wait to share it. I, I want to thank you for the highlights. You have anything else to add before I let you go? Uh, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks awesome. for having me. Absolutely. Nice to see you. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marketing Sweats. In season eight, I'm sitting down with leaders from Peoria area businesses and civic organizations to talk about the huge collaborative effort underway to raise up our community called Choose Greater Peoria. 
We're all joining forces like never before to promote the place we call home, where you can work greater, live greater, and play greater. That's the Greater Peoria Advantage. To learn more about this movement, visit choosegreaterpeoria.org. And if you like this episode, you can hear more at our website, marketingsweats.com, or any of the major podcast listening platforms. You'll find over 70 episodes with guests like marketers, business consultants and leaders, personal and professional development coaches and authors covering a range of topics like B2B marketing, CX, brand building, data, tech, and more. That's a wrap for today. Keep up the good work, friends, and we'll chat soon.